So we're going to talk tonight in, in our series on prayer. We've talked about prayer and trouble. Last Sunday, Ella was talking about prayer and blessing. I'm going to talk tonight about prayer and revelation. And the reason I'm doing that is because prayer is not meant to be a one-way journey. It's meant to be a two-way journey. It's not just us bringing our requests, our needs to God, or the requests and needs of other people to God, important though that is. It's also a place where we want to hear God speak to us. That's where the problem lies. When I was a new believer, a young Christian, I wasn't sure I was a Christian because lots of my um, you know, people been in the, in the Christian walk a bit more deeply than me would talk about God speaking to them. And they say, you know, the Lord said this to me and the Lord said that to me. And I thought, wow, I'm not sure that the Lord speaks to me. Uh, has anyone ever been in that position? Kind of thought, does God speak to me? Yeah, I see some hands, okay. And it may be that... that what we're, what we're trying to grasp is, well, how does God speak to us? And what are we expecting? Are we expecting an audible voice? Maybe, now and then, very occasionally, very rarely, most people have never heard the audible voice of God, though some people have. Is it a kind of like a really clear download in our own mind? So it's just that thought's there, we know it's not us, it's God. Or is it some other thing? How does God speak to us today? And then... Um, that's what we want to explore today because revelation really simply means an uncovering. It's a revealing of something to us that has previously been hidden from us. And God is in the business of revealing himself to us. You know, honestly, human beings are questers for God. We had a great interview from someone this morning called Poppy, and she was just talking about um, how brought up an atheist, but something in her was longing for God all the time. For Tom, he's going away and um, thinking, well, there's something out there, and I'm going to try and find it all by myself, because there's that longing for God. But you know that God is passionate about us finding him. And maybe the longings that we have for God are stimulated, prompted by God's longing for us, God's work by his spirit. God wanted to draw us to himself. So we want to think about how does God speak to us today. And then also, just at the end of what I say, a little bit of an opportunity maybe for some people who felt that God has been speaking this week or at this season, not just for them, but for us. And we'll just have a little bit of space where we might want to hear one or two words from people who perhaps during prayer week have felt, this, this felt there's got to be something for more than just me in this one. So I think revelation, hearing from God, how do we position ourselves so that we can hear from God? And I think it begins by quietening the other voices in our lives. And, you know, actually we've got a lot going on in there. Well, actually not all of you have, looking around, but... Um, <laughs> But, but probably there are lots of voices. Things like this, the voice of, of anxiety, the, the voice of um, uh, distraction, the voice of this is what I'm into at the moment, this is, this is my hobby, this is my romance, this is my passion, this is whatever it is, you know? There, there could be a whole lot of stuff going on there. If you are, who's, gonna, who's bought a new car recently? 
How was it? I mean, did you think about that new car quite a lot before you bought it? You know, it, it goes like, who's moving house? Who's getting married? I mean, that sort of stuff, it, those are noisy voices, aren't they? And I think the, the other voices that, are, 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 that could be around, could be less focused around things, but about our feelings. You know, grief is a noisy voice. Um, disappointment is a noisy voice. There are, there are lots of voices. In fact, I won't talk too long about this because Claire's going to do a whole series on shame and voices and things like that. But the reality is there are internal voices which are often louder than the voice of God. Or are they? I'm not sure whether it's they're louder or those are the ones that were tuned in. You know, when, when you've got um, a radio spati- a station, uh, and you probably remember radios, they happened before, before the digital era, that we had things called radios, and you used to try and tune them in, and you'd have a little button, in, and it would move around, you'd pick up a, a, you know, Radio 1, or maybe this kind of French radio station that you, whatever. You know, and, and where you've tuned in is what you'd be listening to. And it may be that the voice of God is really strong, but we're not tuned into it. So how, how do we tune into the voice of God? There's a story in the Bible about um, a prophet in the Old Testament called Elijah. We find that in the book of Kings, 1 Kings 19. And Elijah was a man of God. He was a prophet. And prophets are people that God speaks to. Sometimes they're called seers because the way that God speaks is through what, as much as what they see as what they hear. And, and Elijah was someone who was really used by God, but there came a point in his life where he was, his life was threatened by the, uh, the members of the royal family, by the queen, actually. He said, you know, I'm going to take your life. I'm going to make sure you die. And he, f- he fled. And um, the voice of fear is a really noisy voice. Who's, who's ever felt incapacitated by fear? Yeah? Me, I have. I've had threatening voices, noisy voices that have had the, the power almost to incapacitate me at times. And um, so there's Elijah. He's, he's, he's gone into the wilderness, and he's low, he's depressed. He says, I might as well die, God. You know, take me. You know, this is, I've, I've done all this stuff for you, but now I'm really afraid. And for Elijah, um, he needed to quieten the voice of, of fear, I think, in his life. So in, in 1 Kings 19, I'll just read you a couple of verses from it. Actually, I don't think it is in 1 Kings 19. In one, oh, it is. It is in one Kings 19. There it is. Good. Got it right. Um, he says, um, God says to him, because somehow, you know, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I've been very zealous for God, and but it's all, it's all gone pear-shaped. And God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind... There was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to the death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king of Israel. Anoint Elisha. 
son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah to succeed you as a prophet. And I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. There's something about that still small voice of God that's awesome, isn't it? You know, there was all these big manifestations of fire and wind and earthquake and stuff that's going on. But when the still small voice came, Elijah knows it's God. The psalmist, Psalm 133, says, I've stilled and quietened my spirit like a weaned child within me. We need to still those voices. We need to be quiet. We need to listen. We, we may need to confess some stuff. We may need to get some stuff out of the way that are noisy voices if we're going to listen to God. And then when, when we speak to God and, and when we're talking to him, if we're really going to get revelation, it starts with revelation about ourselves. One of my favorite verses uh, in, in, the, in the Bible actually comes from the end of Psalm 139. And in that psalm, the, the psalmist is, he's been on a spiritual journey, I think, he, but he, he's kind of, he's got a view of God where, he recognizes that ultimately God's the one that, that formed him and knows him better than he knows himself. And so the end of the psalm goes like this. Search me and know me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a similar prayer, but it's saying, God, I've got these anxious thoughts. I've got these blind spots. I need to know myself in the light of your knowledge of me. Search me and know me. Revelation starts with us understanding ourselves out of God's understanding of us. Revelation about ourselves means that we take the plank out of our own eye before we start discerning things for other people. You know, Jesus said that, didn't he? Take the plank out of your own eye before you try and get the speck out of someone else's. You need to know yourself in the light of my knowledge of you. And I think that is absolutely the, the root place for revelation. If you want to be a prophet, if you want to hear from God, if you want to come to God in prayer and know the voice of God, you've got to let him know you and you know yourself in the light of his knowledge of you. Otherwise, there's a danger that your noisy voices, your ego, your anxieties, your aspirations will distort the voice of God. How many people have heard the voice of God say, I'm going to let you marry that person? It's the person for you. It's because your desire has got in the way of that still small voice. That's just a, it's a silly example, but it does happen, honestly. You know, people confuse their desire with God's desire. We need to see ourselves in the light of God. And when we do that, we can find ourselves in the Spirit. There's a couple of Bible verses which we've reflected on over the course of the day. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing, he describes this man who's transported into third heaven and he heard inexpressible things. What's going on there? Paul is, is actually using, he's kind of talking about himself in the third person because he's a little bit embarrassed. 
it sounds a bit grandiose. Yeah, I was taking the third heaven, so I better not say. Anyway. But, but he talks about being really caught up in the spirit. The author of Revelation, John, says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I received revelation. If we know ourselves, if we quieten those other voices, and then we come to a place of prayer, God can catch us up in the spirit and give us revelation, reveal things to us, because he wants to do that. There's some groundwork to be done first. So that's my, my first encouragement to you. Seek revelation, seek in prayer, but when you pray, ask God to search you and know you. See if there's anything that's getting in the way of your ability to hear from God. I find that God is very clear when he says, stop it. When he says, put that right. Say sorry to that person. Stop thinking so much of yourself. Don't be offended. Those voices are loud and clear because God wants to get me right before I could be any use to anybody else. Revelation is, mm, I've got this stuff in me. I need God's mercy. All right. Second thing then about getting revelation. You know, revelation and questioning really go together. How do we get a, a, an answer from God? Because we get the right question to him. You know, we need to ask God for revelation, not just wait for the supernatural download. If you're kind of walking around thinking, why doesn't God speak to me really clearly? It might be that God say, well, why don't you ask me? What kind of questions are you asking me? God asks us questions, we ask God questions. If you look at a, a book like the Psalms, the psalmist is always asking God questions. They're the kind of how long question, question. They're saying, why is this going on, God? Or answer me about that. People who are followers of, of God are always asking questions. And do you know people always ask Jesus questions, didn't they? They're always asking him questions. And you know how Jesus replied? With questions. You know, you see that even with Elijah, you know? So what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> Elijah's got some questions about God, and God's got some questions about Elijah. But questions are places where we find answers. And, and James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. You don't have because you don't ask. And one reason why we don't have revelation is we're not asking the right questions. So, what kind of questions are we asking God? Why am I not seeing breakthrough in my life? That's a good question to ask. What would it take to see Bristol transform with the love and power of God? That's quite a good question to ask. What's wrong with me, God? It's quite a good question to ask. How can I bless my neighbor? What are you doing in their life? What is it that you're doing right now? And one thing that I love to do is um, pray for people and ask God questions about the people I'm praying for. What are you doing in Co. Russell or Laura Harris or Tim Dobson or my friends and colleagues? What are you doing in, in people that I'm pastorally care for? How can I call out the treasure that's in them 
that's about what you're doing. Now, sometimes people provoke that in any case because they are asking those questions. You know, why am I, why am I not flourishing in life right now? There's an answer for those things. And sometimes those answers are not that difficult to discern. But we, we need to have the, 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 the voice of God to really give it that, that authority in our lives. And, and perhaps later on, perhaps we'll, we'll do some of that kind of praying where we'll be asking God questions for one another. And letting God's word bring comfort and hope. And then, I guess that the third thing is, when, when revelation comes, how do we know it's God and not our imagination? Because the voice of God is not like, typically it's not like an audible voice. I, I did ask people at Woody's a while ago, how many people have heard the audible voice of God? And, and one of my friends I've known for a really long time put their hand up and said, I have. So I said, come and tell us what it was. And, and they said, um, when, when they were a, a young, young woman, they, they had a really severe eating disorder. It was really dangerous. And, and they said one day, they, they heard God say to them, why are you killing yourself when I love you so much? And it changed them completely. It was just kind of a, but that's really unusual to hear, hear, hear the audible voice of God like that, you know. But, but the, vo the voice of God comes, the problem isn't at God's end, the problem is at our end. You see, first of all, we're like spiritual babies. When we start our spiritual journey, we come like babies. I don't know if you've ever been, tried to have a conversation with a baby. They just don't get your voice. There's nothing wrong with your voice, but they, they, the way they communicate with you is, is very different. For a start, they communicate with you by a kind of rather inarticulate crying, which is, gets right into your nervous system and makes you feel ill. <laughs> and, uh, but when you talk to them, they kind of are comforted sometimes by the sound of your voice, but they don't really articulate what you're saying. And it's a little bit that, like, that, like that with God. And so we, we, we comfort little babies with different ways. We hold them, we nurse them, we win them. And... Um, I spent the, the first part of my working life actually working with people with learning difficulties. And the, the way that, um, with, sometimes with profound learning difficulties, sometimes with people who are not verbal. And um, I realized that communication was an issue, not because of my issues, but because they had additional needs. Some of them had experienced kind of birth trauma and brain damage, or a whole range of things. It meant that, that the communication was hard. And so... And I think it's a little bit like that with, with us to God. We're like spiritual children, or sometimes we've got some areas of brokenness and damage in our lives. And so we have to learn the language of heaven a little bit. And sometimes God finds it easier to get through to us in non-verbal ways. Now, God is a speaking God, and Jesus is the living word. And so Actually, God speaks to us through the life of Jesus. Jesus reveals to us supremely what the life of a character of God is like. But we, we discern that as much as what we see in the life of Jesus and the actions of Jesus as in the teaching of Jesus, because we sometimes need more than just words. We also need to see, don't we? And, uh, and God speaks to us through what we see and what we hear. John the Baptist's followers came to Jesus once and said, yeah, what's going on? Who are you, Jesus? He said, go back and tell John the Baptist what you see and hear. 
And so actually vision, the visual, the seeing what God is doing is one way that God speaks to us. God, God speaks to us in so many ways, actually. And, and, um, and, and of course, sometimes it is like a little whisper, still small voice in our mind. One of, the, one of my great heroes of faith was a man called Ken McGreevy, who had an extraordinary prophetic ministry. And a word of knowledge ministry, if you like. Some, he would kind of bring revelation from God about the detail in people's lives. And people like Tim and myself were encouraged and mentored by, um, by Ken. But Ken used to de describe a word of knowledge like this. It's like a whisper in your mind followed by a doubt. It's that subtle. And sometimes when God speaks, it's as subtle as when we get a hunch about something. Do you understand what it means to get a hunch about something? When you kind of just get an instinct for something, you, you feel, you sense something, and you, 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 you maybe can't quite articulate how you got it, but you kind of feel like, I know this is true. And you may have to test that. You, you know, you may have had a hunch and thought something about somebody, and you, you prove we're wrong later on. But very often you think, I was right about that, and it just came to me. And, and actually, that's often how words of knowledge and revelation come. We kind of get a, we, we know something in our spirit. That's, again, a, a phrase that used about Jesus. Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. The New Testament says one time when Jesus was confronting a whole bunch of opponents. Um, so the word of knowledge that comes and just drops like a little whisper in our minds. Or sometimes like a visual thing. Or sometimes like a, a sensory thing. Sometimes God speaks to me through my physical body. You know, I've talked before about the book, The Body Keeps the Score. That sometimes our bodies, our, our, our whole senses can pick up stuff. That where our minds got a bit stuck or a little bit detached and doesn't quite get it, but our bodies tell us things. But God speaks to us in all kinds of ways. But he often speaks to us also through that whole imaginative realm that we're in because we're created in the image of God. And human beings are meant to have, I think, an imaginative interface with God where we can almost see the unseen because our imaginative visualization helps us. But because we've got that capacity, we do have to discern, is this me making something up, or is this really God? And when revelation comes like that, there are some, some steps that we can take to help us. So I love what I call the resonance test. When God speaks to you through somebody else, does it ring true? Does it resonate with you? you know, we find this all the time in the Bible, and, and particularly I'd like to take you to the life of Paul. You know, when Paul became a Christian, he was actually called Saul back in the day, and he was someone who, who persecuted Christians. He thought that he was doing the will of God by imprisoning and persecuting Christians and opposing uh, this Christian cult because he was a good Jew. You know, and he just thought this is a bit of a heresy. And on his way to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to, to Damascus to, with authority to imprison Christians, he had a revelation. He had an encounter with God, and actually the voice of Jesus spoke to him in an audible voice. And the people around him didn't get it. They just saw this like blind. They, they knew something was going on. Paul was blinded. He fell from his donkey, and he heard God speaking to him. Well, he heard Jesus speaking to him and say, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Is it so hard for you to kick against the goads? And um, in that encounter, he, he came to a faith in Jesus Christ. And at that time in his life, Jesus spoke to him about the fact that he was going to go and he was going to be used and be sent to the Gentiles. And he was also going to suffer. 
all of that stuff came in a like, real download in that encounter and also through the words of a prophetic man who, who was also spoken to by God and came and spoke to him. You know, years later, there was a time when the church in Antioch where, where Saul was working or Paul was working and um, they had a time of worship and in that place God spoke and said, set aside for me Saul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to, to go to the Gentiles, to go on a mission trip. It was no surprise to him that God was speaking because it was what he'd already knew in his heart but the external word from other people brought the release that allowed him to go. Towards the end of his ministry, Paul was on his way to Jerusalem and a prophet came and said, he took the linen belt that, that Paul had and he bound his own hands with it. He said, in the same way, the owner of this belt will be bound and handed over to Gentiles when he goes to Jerusalem. And Paul said, well, you don't need to tell me that word. That's not for me because I already know it. The Holy Spirit's been warning me that I'm going to face trouble and persecution when I go to Jerusalem. The resonance was there. It wasn't a surprise to Paul. But the prophetic word confirmed what he felt in his own heart. And the word was as much for the companions of Paul who needed to know that God was in control, that this whole situation that was going to happen to their leader was not outside of God's care. So the prophetic word was for everyone, not just for Paul. But it had real resonance. So when I'm trying to bring some revelation to God, I've been praying for you. And I, I want to bring a, a word to you. I want you to feel there's some real resonance there. I wonder if I should try and model that, demonstrate it. Rebecca, just come up here a minute. Sorry, this is totally unplanned and unscripted. So this is... I'm just going to take a moment. Is it all right if I do this, by the way? Yeah. Permission. She's a bold, bold, fearless young woman. I would like you to join in as well because I'd, let's pray for Rebecca. Well, we, we, you know, we, we value Rebecca as part of our church family. We would love her to experience more of God's blessing and fruitfulness in her life. So I'm going to say to you, Father God, what would you want to say to Rebecca tonight? What insight and revelation would you want to bring to her? What do you see in her, Lord God? Lord, we want to hear your voice tonight. Spoke a blessing on, on Rebecca. And I'm going to say some things which are probably very obvious things to you, but when, when I pray for you, what I see you, I, I see you playing your violin. And, and I know that um, that's a really precious thing for you. But first of all, the violin is far more precious than um, you can easily account for. It's precious for two reasons. First of all, it in itself is a precious, valuable instrument. Violins are often very valuable. It's also precious for you because of the history that it has with you. It's actually been made for you in many ways. It's been adapted for your use. And, um, and when you play it, it kind of comes alive and you feel the whole resonance of the musicality of that instrument. 
And, and, and when God looks at you, Rebecca, he, he actually it says, first of all, about you, you're small, but you're precious. <laughs> he says, you're, you're, you're really precious to him, actually really valuable. And in fact, um, just like you protect your violin and it's kept in the case, actually, he's, he's had his protective hand around you. Actually, all the days of your life, he's been protecting and watching over you. And when you look back at your life, there, there'd be some dangers that you could have fallen into, but God was there protecting you. And he's committed to you going forward. He wants to protect you. But also, that preciousness that's about you really comes into its own when his hands are on your life. And just as it's your violin comes alive when you're playing it. So the, the, the true beauty that's in you is really revealed when God's at work in your life. And actually, your calling is to be a minister of the kingdom of God more than anything else in this world. And though you could set your heart on all kinds of treasures in your career and in your pathway, and they're good, and you're allowed to go for them, the truest thing about you is that you are who you're made to be when you are living as a child of God, as a minister of God. And your life is going to enrich people by the melody of of, of your life more even than your playing enriches people when they hear you with uh, audible ears I think something like that does, does that make sense to you yeah thank you yeah you can go. <laughs> now in, in a way that that is maybe that that's you could you could think some obvious things about about that, some really human things, but so often it's when God's spirit is on the, the, the obvious stuff, the stuff that we know. God's spirit is on it, and he breathes it. There's a, there's a prophecy in Haggai, I am with you, says the Lord. It's in the Bible, that's a big prophecy, isn't it? I mean, we could always say that, because we know God's with us, but it's the timing and the breath of God on that word that makes it a revelation, because we know God's with you, but when God really knows he's with you. You know, for, for me, I often tell this story because it's a bit of revelation for me. When I was um, really worried about finances and um, struggling, I just shared with Pam Scott Cook and my colleague, Nigel, uh, money's really tight for us at the moment. And then we go into a session. That guy, Kevin Grieve, is there. He prays for every us in the room. There's a Bible study. He prays for each of us. When he comes to me, he says, God's going to release material blessing, finances for you and your family. How did he know? How did God know that? Well, God knew that. How did he tell Ken that? But for me, it's the resonance. It's the, yeah, God knows he's on my case. That's the moving thing. It's even more important than getting the money. Though, to be fair, the money did come too. But, you know, the fact that we know that God knows, that's huge. The God who sees me, that's the cry of Hagar in the Old Testament. You know, that, that, that runaway slave woman, God speaks to her. The God who sees me knows me. When you get revelation from God, you know that Christianity isn't just a belief system. You know it's personal. You know there's a God in heaven who sees you and knows you and is for you and wants to put his word into you. So um, revelation, we, we recognize it because it rings true with our spirit. And, and when revelation is shared communally, it's one thing to talk to a person like that. It's another thing to have a revelation for a community. You know, I think it's harder to have a word for a church than for an individual. 
I think it's harder to have a, a word for a nation than it is for a church. Because revelation from God is designed to flow along pathways of love. And when you love someone, it's easy to get a word for them. But it's harder to love something bigger than a, a person standing in front of you. You know, it's a bit harder. It's harder to love a nation. And the challenge sometimes is that prophetic words go off one because they're a bit grandiose. And we have the kind of the big story and, the, the, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's not really based on, on love as much as on something else. Sometimes, I suggest. So, um, but actually we should love the church and the nation enough to be letting God break his heart for us where we need the challenge or to give us the direction that we need when we need direction. And when a word comes for a church, again, the church gets the resonance. You know, I've been in in some highly prophetic church communities where people had prophetic words all the time. And sometimes they would just kind of like float over the congregation. And sometimes they would be shared and everybody just sits up. Oh, that that really was God. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, I think, first of all, Maybe sometimes people share a word and it actually is more for them than for everybody else. And they've shared it and it's valid, but it's not really impacting for everyone else. It's more for them. And, and for us, as we share prophetic revelation, we, we have to discern that a little bit. Is this really for me or is this really for everyone? And, and, and second of all, when, when people share, some things are more weighty than others. But when it's really God, we tend to know, we tend to take notice that, yeah, actually, that's God. And it, it's, there's almost a kind of a testing, weighing process that happens because testing and weighing revelation is important because we have this imaginative faculty. So the Bible encourages to test and weigh things. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, well, you know, a prophet speaks, three or four others should, should weigh and test what they're saying. So, so we, we test by, well, sometimes we want to ask for confirmation. Do you remember in the Bible, Gideon gets a word from God about a fleece being damp. And he's so faithful, he asks for another one to compliment the word that he's got. But you, you're allowed to do that, actually. You're allowed to ask for confirmation from time to time. You're asked to allow for confirmation from other people, other voices. Where God's speaking to you, he's probably going to be speaking to other people too when those voices come together. That's helpful, which is why during prayer week, if we have feedback from a number of voices, we can discern a little bit together, oh, there's a thrust here, there's something God's saying here that isn't just someone out on their own, but it seems like the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church family. Let's share that in. Let's, let's test and weigh. And, um, and, and if there are directive elements, we really want to weigh those things and give them time and maybe ask for some follow-up confirmations. Of course, we want to make sure that what we're hearing is fully in line with how God reveals himself to us, his nature through Scripture. There's that divine resonance. But um, I would love it just perhaps if we had a bit of time just to share one or two words from, from this week. But just for me, I'll, I'll just share for me the thing that I, I've, one thing that I feel I'm, I'm, I'm carrying. And again, this is, this is not a new word, but maybe it's a timely word. And it's not even from this week. It's really for, for this little season in, in, in time where I've been... Going back to a verse from the Bible in um, Romans chapter 12, and I shared a little bit our 11 o'clock um, community weekend away earlier in, in the autumn, but it's just simply in view of God's mercy. 
offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And, and I feel that, um, that God wants us to have a bigger view of his mercy. And I wanted to say to you tonight, by the way, if you're somebody who is more prone to condemnation, shame, self-hatred than other people, um, God wants you to have a bigger view of his mercy. If you're somebody who's afraid of God, who, who is more aware of God as a judge than as a father, then God wants you to get hold of this word. If you think that God is somewhat uncaring and not, um, not interested in you, you need to get hold of this word. If you worry about the injustices of the world, and for you a theological problem is that, what about these people, what about those people? You need to get hold of this word because God is more merciful than you are. In fact, God is more merciful than the most merciful person that you will ever know on planet Earth. He's more merciful than Gandhi and Mother Teresa put together. And, and God wants you to have a view of his mercy which will allow you to trust yourself into his hands. In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. And actually, I think God wants our church to be built on a foundation of mercy and a banner of mercy, which means that people who come to this place and need a second chance or a third chance or an 18th chance, but people who walk in and they are not like us, uh, people who are conscious that they are in need of acceptance and love and mercy, that's because God is rich in it and wants to give it to them, and his mercy triumphs over judgment. I, I, I think um, when we sang at the end of tonight's service, morning by morning, new mercies I see. I'd been thinking about the mercy. I thought, is it right to share it tonight? But that new mercies, it just said, yeah, it's there. And again, if you're watching online, if you're here, in this building, if you feel like you're the kind of person that would be judged by church and maybe judged by God, the reality is that God has already shown you mercy and wants you to trust him enough to give the whole of your life to him. And on that foundation of mercy, God is going to build things in this church. The rest of the chapter goes on about using our gifts, serving, leading, a whole range of things. And we're in a time in our lives as a church where we've been in transition, where we've been rebuilding after COVID, where, where there's a whole lot of things about we're having a big strategic review. There's going to be a whole lot of building going on, shaping. But it's based on the mercy of God. God's mercy is here for you tonight. Know that you're loved. Know that you're valued. Know that whatever you see in yourself that's dark, God also sees in you your potential, the image that he put in you when he made you. And he wants to call that out of you in love and in mercy. So bless that to us, Lord God. May, may that be something that we believe. And if, you, if that resonates with you, then you can say an amen to that. But um, Laura, i just ask you to come and share something that you, you sense this week, if that's all right. And then if, if you feel that you've got something that's hot and cooking for all of us, then you maybe just come and find Claire or Tim or myself and we'll just kind of try and get those out. Yeah. Well, either way. Great. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I just felt uh, this week, God, um, yeah, give a bit of word that I felt was for the church family as a whole. Um, 
And I felt God just sort of show me that actually in the last season we've been holding ground, um, but now is the season to break new ground, um, pushing back the walls and claiming new ground. And it felt like this expansion of territory. Um, and in Isaiah 54, it says, Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And I felt like God really highlighted that strengthen your stakes. It was a bit of a warning, actually, to if we want to enlarge the place of our tent, we need to strengthen our stakes. And we need to make sure that those are secure so that as we go wide, we're also going deep. Um, and just off the back of that, I guess myself personally, I felt this week this renewed sense of hope that um, I'm carrying. And I felt that was encouragement for me, but actually encouragement for all of us, that if you feel at the moment in a place where, oh, I want to believe that or I want more, I really felt like God wants to say to you tonight that he's got more for us. He wants to increase our capacity for him. And actually, it's a work of his spirit to do that. And just the last thing was just felt like God showed me but like Dave said that sense of having a bit of an undivided heart and just that sense of revelation of me able to say to God sorry God where I've had an undivided heart where I've set things up above you where I've had idols or I've you know not even bad things like loving my family but if that takes the place of you and my love of you then actually that can be detrimental so a bit of that kind of whole approach of feeling revelation this week. Okay. Thank you Laura Thanks. I think there's some things for us to really take hold of there and listen to. I, I think that's, that's a really true thing. That's strengthening of the stakes in the ground. Powerful. And um, so I hope we'll, we'll write that down and we'll be able to reflect further on it. So, um, welcome. I, you know, do, do come up here if you'd like to. I've got to say, I, I just don't know you very well, so... Um, Right, no, that's fine. But because I don't know you very well, it's always more of a risk for me in, in asking you to share something. So I'll just take that risk. Dave, thank you. Um, my heart is burning, and um, I feel like Jeremiah. Can't keep it in. I felt the Lord saying, um, I'm going to do a new thing with Woody's. I'm coming again to Woody's. I've come to help to take the strain I've come with a new wind. I am coming with a new wind. And you're to turn into the new wind. So that when the new wind comes, you will just stand in it. And this new wind is going to blow away everything that has been holding you and binding you. And it's going to loosen you into this new thing that I'm going to do. Because the Lord is coming in, in this time in our nation and in the world when there's a huge amount of darkness. And so the Holy Spirit is coming with a new wind. And so I think the Lord is saying to you, get ready, Woodies, because I'm coming again to take the strain. Okay. Thank you very much. Earlier on in our, in our day of prayer... Um, on Tuesday, Philip Gennardo, who's been involved in leading one of our congregations, or is leading one of our congregations, had had the prophetic word, you're flying a kite, but there's no wind, but the wind is coming. And it's a very similar word, actually. There is a sense that, um, you know, you're doing the things, you're positioning yourself for the wind. The wind's not here at the moment, but the wind's coming, so, so get ready. And I think that, that, that word of hope, there's a real resonance with that, that with what... Um, Laura was saying, so we, we, we want to welcome the wind of the Spirit of God. We want to say yes to your Spirit. Do we say yes to God's Spirit? Are we saying the disruptive, altering, life-changing power of God's Spirit? Are we willing to say yes to that really? Yeah, we are. We are. We, because without God, we, without his breath, we're just like dry bones. So come, Holy Spirit. 
be, be the breath of God upon us, we pray. Amen. Did, Rebecca, did you put your hand up for a while? No, good, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not fixated on Rebecca, by the way. That was just, I just thought she put her hand up, that's all. That's all I'm saying. Um, any, any is there no, we've got one more? All right, well, we've got other, other time. I'm going to hand back to, to Claire. We're going to go back into time of uh, this. Just let's put some worship ministry before we finish our service.